the booze world is full of smoke and mirrors. You pull out. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we know in life that the what is important, but the why is always the trigger. Were you ever on the verge of giving up? God, yeah. 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 If I sell you X, I need to give you some money because selling you a great product isn't enough. Yeah. Waffling. Alex, shut the fuck up. <laughs> right, let's do this again. Cut. Hi, and welcome to The Session Podcast, the home of Spirited Conversation. I'm your host, Brad Crompton, and I'm the co-founder of Session Spirits by Spirit of Bermondsey. I'm pleased to welcome Alex Wolpert, the founder of the East London Liquor Company. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brad. Great to be here. So Alex is the founder of the East London Liquor Company, the exciting and vibrant drinks brand out of the East End of London. So I believe it's about 10 years almost now when you first started the brand right uh yeah we are yeah we're we're just over nine so yeah yeah be 10 next year are you planning for your big 10th year anniversary yet uh haven't haven't thought that far ahead yet <laughs> well i think you've got the place for it haven't you the place just on on bow wharf yes so i yeah. think i mean i've been there before i've walked past it as well it's an incredible is it a listed building? It's locally listed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a lovely space. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, I think you, you can definitely have a big party yeah. there, can you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously I know you and I know the brand. Uh, I've been to your bars. I've drank the product. I've done my research with you um, beforehand, of course. I'd love to hear how, how you explain the brand and what you're standing for and where you came from. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I've, you know, worked in the um worked in the on trade for for many years since my kind of early 20s mid mid early to mid 20s the kind of my love of booze has been has been there for you know almost 20 years but i think you know as a as a bartender there was there was no real independent booze offering out there the independent piece on one hand of course refers to the ownership of the brand and the business but actually also probably more importantly it refers to a way of doing business and a way of making liquid which to me felt sort of quite lacking there was there was a sort of lack of um transparency really around making liquid and making the liquid the most important thing not the check that you cut to make sure the listing goes live not the support not all the other stuff but actually how can you how can you make booze locally which leads with liquid being the important part of the equation and I imagined about 10 years ago as well that even more so than now, the big boys really own the market. Yeah, I mean, you could argue the big boys are trying to dominate it even more now because the economy's, uh, you know, not in a great place. And so actually it's more important for them to hang on to their listings. I think the big boys will always play that unimaginative game of offering what they can, which is which is money. I think it's, I mean, the feedback we get is that it's refreshing that there are booze brands like us that are out there saying, um, we can offer other things, you know, of course, the liquid is excellent. Of course, there's, there's an element of provenance and quality and you can come and watch us make the liquid and you can come make the liquid with us. And there's that element to it. But there's also the element of um, the valleys behind which we behind which we very sort of proudly position ourselves as being liquid led. That's that's quite a powerful thing when you think about we get up and we sweat and we breathe and we we dream good booze like that is the north star for us and you know of course you know with with the gins and the vodka you know you 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 work on something we spent six months developing our gin recipes when we started and then we locked them in well we've got this liquid we think is excellent and that's going to be 
we want people to know that it's consistent but with a whiskey it's this wonderful evolving thing where the whiskies have just got better and you know when someone says to me you know you trying to replicate last year's rye because it was really tasty i can say well no actually this year's rye is a little bit different and it's different because of these reasons because we are leading our exploration of liquid by flavor and that's the kind of most important thing and we're a young whiskey distillery you know we also make gin we're we're a young distillery full stop we're not even 10 yet so for us to even contemplate the idea that we've got a liquid that we've nailed and that we want to replicate year on years would be monumentally arrogant and we don't want we're not there so it's really kind of just having this ability to play and evolve the liquid and i think that lands because people understand that it comes from a place of no ego but just what do we do that improves and develops the liquid and you mentioned you're quite a young distillery yeah. i've read that you're the first gin vodka and whiskey distillery in over a century any standard yeah i believe that is true yes um it is true i think for us it's very much forward looking it's what what does it mean to make make whiskey and gin in in london in 2023 what makes us relevant how can we maintain our relevance um and you know particularly at a time now where everyone's getting squeezed left right and center it's tough out there how do we how do we make something that resonates with people in a way that's meaningful and whether that's a bartender making a manhattan or a boulevardier or that's a consumer at home pouring themselves a drink after a after a thursday night you know what is it that that keeps people coming back to us you know we know in life that the what is important but the why is always a trigger so it's not what they're drinking but why and why do they come back to us so that's that's the bit that needs to resonate so let's talk about the how yeah. as well <laughs> because obviously the idea of, of of dreaming about a drinks brand is one thing putting the steps into play to start the journey is a second thing but to consistently do that and build the brand that you have over the last nine or ten years is obviously a huge achievement i'd love to learn more about your creation story how did you get started on your journey so i i was um I was doing the ops and uh, for uh, for a bar group called Barworks, and I sort of turned around to the um, my bosses at the time and said, you know, I'd like to build a gin and whiskey distillery. Do you do you want do you want in? And they went, yeah, sure. And uh, it was kind of that simple at the time. Had I known the pain and the what was actually um, what it entailed, I probably would have thought twice. Um, but with ignorance comes a degree of freedom. <laughs> Uh, to make silly mistakes and to make silly decisions. And so we started off very small, just developing liquid for six months while we got labels and bottles and everything else in, in play. Yeah, 2014 in January, we signed the, the lease on the premises on the 14th of January, 2014. Six months later, we were distilling. Um, four or five weeks later, we had product that we were sort of sending out to the local bars that we were, had, a, had a relationship with. And it was really sort of humble humble beginnings really i mean we were we were doing you know a few hundred bottles a month to start with but we really took the time to so we didn't actually sell any product to any wholesalers for i think probably six months from when we started distilling so we started sitting in june so maybe maybe four three or four months um took until we were really convinced that we had the consistency bit down and it was very much led by the fact that we just wanted to be able to be a an on-trade brand to start with what does that mean to be a bartender's favorite how do we 
how do we provide something that is liquid lead but also is practical lightweight wine wine bottle that we used you know people are talking about removing weight in glass um now we did that that was part of the plan before we even signed the lease to have a lightweight wine bottle because we realized that was a, an easy hack for speed of service and not knackering people's arms when they're pulling something up a speed rail you know 100 yeah. times a night a thousand times a night and i think when when we when we started you know the the look and feel of the brand was very different you know we were we were mindful of the fact that we were in a kind of old paint and glue factory and there was a kind of the design route we went down was very much a kind of nod to our kind of building and the heritage of the space we were in and over the over the first four four and a half years we kind of got lumped into the to the craft space and the c word is something we've never used at east london from the beginning that would be quite a strange soundbite because the c word is used a lot over there <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm talking about craft um so yeah so the sea, we don't we've never used it and i think we just got lumped into that bubble i think we always saw you know as we as we as we grew we realized that that kind of independent spirits movement was really growing and most independent spirits producers were happy to refer to themselves as craft i've never understood what it means i i, I I have seen and see a lot of brands use it as a crutch to justify high price tags rather than to actually give the consumer or the bartender more insight into the product, which I think is just sloppy marketing. Do you think as um, well it, it tries to give an impression of independence? Uh, yeah, Yes and no. Yeah, maybe it does. I think it's, if you can quantify it, you're doing a better job. Uh, and so the quantification element of it to me is really important. How do you articulate your brand in a way which makes it transparent? The booze world is full of smoke and mirrors, secret recipes, old recipes that we've handed down, things that you, the secret ingredient here that we don't talk about, are you strain this and that? There's so much smoke and mirrors. I think everything we do, we are transparent about. There's nothing you can't ask me. There really isn't anything you can't ask me because I think that's that's such a strong position to hold that that there is nothing that is not part of that that impulse to make great liquid and so you should really be able to talk about it from every step of the way it's from what you strains to fermentation time to which botanicals to you know i always tell the story in the beginning when i was running the tours someone said oh you've left one of the sellers left their moleskin open and there was all the recipe there was a botanical bill there and someone said alex you've left the, the thing out. i was like yeah that's, that's okay like, yeah, but I was like, well, the botanicals are on the bottle already. Yeah, but the weights are there. Well, fine. She said, well, what if I take a picture? I said, well, take a picture. And you could see the, the, the group kind of, you know, really kind of see the cogs going. And, and someone else said, but what if we copy the recipe? I was like, well, that's a massive compliment. You're going to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds building a distillery to copy our recipe. That's great. That means our distillers are ninja yeah, distillers, right? Which I know already, but that's a compliment, right? And there was a sort of pause. And I said, obviously, if you call it East London, I'll sue you. It was a joke, but if you copy the recipe well that's kind of great right that's a wonderful like doffing of the cap to the fact that you think what we're doing is great and i think that doesn't that degree of transparency and openness doesn't exist naturally in the booze world people do not that is not the natural like resting place of booze brands and you find that builds trust as well yeah customers yeah i think it does i think you know we i think people want to know that they're let into everything and that they can ask questions and you know we have a lot of bartenders coming in every week to do tastings and tours if they're really keen they can come back and do a brew day with us they can make whiskey they can make gin um and they see what we do like if they are then part of the production team for the day like they're kind of properly inserted into that they get wellies and dungarees and off they go right so i, I just can't imagine operating any other way and of course there are many brands that do but for me it just seems like such a that was a deal breaker if you're going to make something 
that you have that degree of transparency. Yeah, no, I love that. I really do. And I feel it almost captures the essence as well of the East End. It's neighborhood, it's in it together, it's that kind of that community vibe. Yeah. Which is a really great transition, which I didn't try and orchestrate at all. <laughs> into my next question. So your tagline is named after the place and soaked in its spirit. Yes. Fucking love that. <laughs> no, it's so cool. But I mean how how do you integrate yourself into the East End? So I don't I don't think we've ever tried to integrate ourselves. I think we have just been and the being and the growing as a business in the community naturally means that we're lucky enough to be part of where we are from and that means one thing to one person and something else to someone else and i think that's a personal thing i don't i don't think we've ever tried to, to try to do something and i think we've just been very mindful of what it means to be in east london i've lived in lived in hackney for over 20 years and it, there is a dynamism and fun and creativity to the to the area although it's changed a lot in 20 years that um is infectious and we want that in in how we operate how we you know our tone of voice and how we operate and how we you know we've just launched this well not just we launched a year ago we launched this um 10 litre jerry refill program um it's the fastest growing part of our business and um, we've taken over forty thousand bottles out of our supply chain by um talking to bars and restaurants and hotels and festivals about that plastic is not the devil you know we have people on instagram saying isn't plastic wrong why aren't you using glass it's more recyclable and you know people just don't understand that the, the carbon needed to recycle glass or make glass compared to if you pick hdp plastic for example um there's no comparison um i think it's just about it's about kind of owning a tone of voice and a way of being which feels right which feels authentic which feels for the team you know and you know we have a pretty open policy with our Instagram account, for example, where our head of sales or head of marketing or head of whiskey can just jump on and chat and do a story and do stuff. And no one knows who it is because it's of the same, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Yeah. And that's quite fun because it means it's not, oh, you can tell so-and-so's on Instagram today because you can't. It's just kind of, yeah. Same vibe. Yeah. Cool. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break from the podcast to let you know about our drinks brand, Session Spirit. We've created the perfect spirit that allows you to enjoy the best of both worlds. It's a 25% spirit made with London Dry Gin. Why did we create a sessionable spirit? Well, it allows you to reduce your hangovers and make a healthier choice while still enjoying an award-winning full-tasting gin. It's also half the calories, vegan, gluten-free, and contains no carbs or sugars. Head over to www.sessionspirit.co.uk, grab your bottle and get five pounds off with code PODCAST5. Okay, great. Let's get back to the pod. Okay, great. I want to jump into the, the quick fire, deeper dive yep. section now. Time to play deep dive. So I'm going to ask you a few deeper questions about yourself, your lessons, and sure. yep. see what kind of wisdom we can, we can pull out. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got a lot to offer, and I think this will be a really good section. We're going to start heavy, though. Okay, I'm ready. What is your biggest regret in business? Oh, um, Probably knowing things on an instinctive level and taking too long to act on them. I would also probably say not raising enough money often enough. I think, you know, 
nine years in as an indie brand, there comes a point when acting and behaving and operating like a startup becomes there's so, so much clamor for space in in the booze world that we always struggle because we have zero marketing budget for nine years um and it's and it slowly starts to you kind of realize that you need to you need more to maintain momentum i guess i guess as the the snowball gets bigger you need more oomph to push it right exactly yeah what would be your advice to people who want to follow in your footsteps and build their own drinks brand or a company or brand in general in today's world Oof. i know you started off nine ten years ago the world yeah. and the industry was probably very different yeah. back then things have changed things are i guess they're probably a bit tougher in these days especially so, post-covid yeah. and brexit not to, to put a disservice to the work you've done obviously beforehand well it wasn't easy then but i think yeah. doing it now would i mean i mean i i would hope no one would follow in in our footsteps per se because i think people should follow in follow their own their own path i guess that's really the important bit but in terms of building a booze brand or just building anything i think it's always going to be about the people you know hiring people that do what you as a founder does but better professionally quickly and having a really really strong team i got into a bit of trouble because i not in trouble trouble's a bit of a exaggeration but I, I said flippantly once i think there must might have been a journalist present i said we could be making flip-flops it doesn't matter it's the team that counts and i kind of got a jab in my elbow and i said you can't say that you have whiskey and gin brand you know it's really important you make whiskey and gin i was like yeah of course fuck i know that but what trumps the what is who you're doing it with because you know we have such a great team not only in you know sales and marketing and um you know in the making of the liquid uh operationally bar you know, there's there's every bit that see, that works well, and of course that needs finessing and developing and modifying and changing over time. But ultimately, our retention of of core team is amazingly high. You know, our head of sales has been with us seven years, going on eight years. Our ops director has been with us since the beginning. Um, great, great talent, I guess. Who 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 take the brand and then give it its own momentum. And I think that's the thing is. There's a lot of fetishizing of founders in the current day and age, which I find uncomfortable. You know, a founder is only as good as the team and the product, and the product is only as good as the team. And actually, you know, I hate titles. When people ask me what I do, I just say I work at East London. I I feel like that's the honest bottom line. Um, yeah, I think you, you, you can't. I think if there's, you know, that, that going back to your question about, you know, that one thing, it's really about finding people who you can really give them complete freedom um it's a real privilege to be able to let people run whole departments without me meddling and meddling is a really bad habit and i really try to to not stick my fingers in everything yeah and i think that almost transcends just the workplace too you know they always say you're only as good as, as the people you surround yourself with you know or you're only as good as the five people you spend the most time with mm. So I think both internally and externally from a working environment, you know, the people who you who you are with all yeah, the time yeah. and, and who you trust and who yeah. you work with are will shape your future for you as yeah. well. So, yeah. So we've looked at what your biggest regret was, which is, is obviously an absence of action and what you haven't done. But what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned from action you have taken? Wow. Um biggest lesson. Yeah, we're getting deep now. I did warn you. <laughs> The compassion goes a long way in every sense, both ways, but it goes a long way in terms of dealing with situations that are difficult. I should probably trust my gut more. Oh, I had a third one. 
Oh, yeah. Advice. When you ask for advice, even when you pay for advice, doesn't mean you have to take it. The last one I like, because they say advice is nostalgia packaged up and resold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a great big burden of when you ask for advice and even more when you pay for it to then take it. And there's this wonder freedom of going, I've asked, I've paid, and now fuck it. I think it's, uh, Malcolm Gladwell speaks really brilliantly about snap decisions or gut decisions and that they're not really gut. They're built up of thousands of hours and days and years of 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 expertise which then allows you to make snap judgments and they look snap they look gut but actually they're rooted in an intrinsic understanding of the situation and what the right decision to make is and that's not the same as making an impulse decision but making a gut decision based on that expertise yeah and I guess so impulse you don't trust it's all yeah, a guess but exactly gut feeling you trust yeah and that's that's what's interesting is i should probably trust myself more because there's more years of being in it you know what i mean were you ever on the verge of giving up at any point oh god yeah 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 i mean it's hard it's really hard and it feels like it's getting much harder and yeah you know it's it's yeah what made you carry on i mean just fucking stubbornness a belief that what we do is meaningful enough on some level for it to work um, and just because I don't know any better, you know, just ignorance, maybe, maybe just, a, 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 it's not, I'm not sure if it's even blind faith. I think, you know, I'm pretty fucking stubborn. I think if you, if you're not having those kind of mini crises every so often, then I would be, I would have alarm bells. Yeah. Take more risks. Well, it's not just the risk that are you aware of the risks or if you're not questioning yourself and what you're doing, then what sort of self-awareness have you got? Hmm. Okay. I'm learning loads here. It's great. <laughs> And when was the first time you thought to yourself, this might actually work? I don't think I've ever thought that. No? No. I, I, I don't, I think it's, there's always a problem or there's always a, some kind of challenge that, you know, look, we, we make whiskey and gin. So it's not just as simple as saying we'll sell, I don't know, 20,000 cases of gin or 50,000 cases of gin. And from the profit of that, we will spend on sales and marketing. It's, we're going to spend more because we want to lay down whiskey stock we want to build a pipeline of whiskey over a long period of time so it's it's not you know we've we've been investing in the business every year for for, for well almost every year for, since we started and that is a pressure because i don't have the means so i'm fundraising um and over the last years we've we've been very lucky to get an amazing group of shareholders who are supportive and get what we we're doing and want to be present and help and believe in what we're doing that takes time you know fundraising particularly takes a huge amount of focus and time do you find you're you're doing more of that nowadays and you are getting involved in the actual distillery um it it it, it changes some sometimes when we, you know if and when we raise then that then it does take a huge amount of focus but you know i'm out selling i have accounts you know we have a back-end crm system where we have divvy up our accounts i have a group of accounts i look after directly um you know, I look after our export sales. I was in Berlin two weeks ago with our new importer. Um, the bit I love most is, apart from making the drink, making drinks with our booze and reminding myself how good what our team make is, um, is definitely getting out and spreading the word. And we were, uh, yeah, I was in Berlin at the bar show a couple of weeks ago and 
every night we finished at six every night after the importers had taken us out for like a local schnitzel or whatever it was which was amazing by the way we i just had a bottle of rye in my inside pocket and i just went to accounts and i poured whiskey and i talked to bartenders and um that's the fun bit you know what would you say is your biggest achievement so far uh still going yeah yeah i love that though because then every day you wake up and you think it's an extra day and it's every day is now an achievement yeah People ask us if, you do, if we were doing an open part, opening party. I was like, fuck no. We're going to do a party at the end of year one. Because we'll, we'll, as long as the lights are still on, that's reason to have a party. Anyone can open a business. It's 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 keeping it going. That's the challenge. And yeah, it's, you know, we, we live in an age where paying human beings to make something is fucking expensive. And there's magic in it. And that's why we do it. But it's also not cheap. And, you know, the current government and the current political scenario and the current economic scenario is geared towards a very very um small group of very wealthy people and there is no support or real kind of understanding of how to foster startups and entrepreneurial efforts <clears throat> in any way really i mean it's 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 pretty bad it's it's pretty pathetic when you think about what is out there and you know the, the the kind of global scene, the the horrors that are going on currently um, across the world um, don't help. But actually, I think what my kids will be, or my kids' kids will be learning about in their history lessons in a long time to come, won't be um, COVID. It'll be Brexit as being something that disrupted things in a kind of quite a quite a serious way. Yeah, yeah. I know a few brands who were quite successful, mm. and prominent, who had to close doors. Yeah, just because they used overseas yeah. products and and ingredients and, and resources, yeah. and they, they couldn't anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah, if you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Oh God, okay. Uh, enjoy the process, uh, and stop and uh, acknowledge the wins. I mean, the whole, the whole, yeah. I mean, it's is it's so hard to go oh, we just did that thing and it was great. Or, you know, we just won a new importer in Germany. Well, that's amazing. But there is no amazing because you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you're on the stand at 11 or 12 o'clock and then at 7 o'clock when you're, when you're out, you know, you're doing another three or four hours of walking around the accounts then you're in bed and then you're up and it's like it's constantly go. So it's, you know, I try and keep my Fridays um, meeting free. I fail some weeks, but I try and keep my Fridays meeting free to catch up, but also to have a little bit of thinking time and i might do three fridays in a row where i forget that i keep them free for thinking time because x y and z happens and i'll have one i'm like oh yeah shit this is the day this is this thing that i've been trying to do <laughs> and you have to sort of stop and put your phone on airplane mode and just sit on a bench or wherever the fuck i am and just go okay wait a minute is everything all right what's going on you know and that's kind of that's really important um and i haven't done that ever for nine years that's a relatively new thing that's really cool and you've spoken a lot today about whiskey. So I'm mm -hmm. guessing, are you more of a whiskey man? No, no, I, I love gin too. I think uh, I, I love a good Negroni. So um, no, I love gin as well. I think, it, it, you know, the, the, yeah, I mean, I, I brought a bottle of each. I kind of epitomize the two bits of the business, really. You know, you've got something which you can make relatively quickly, um, which is used in a, in a kind of volume environment where, you know, bars can make Negronis or, you know, gin and tonics, whatever it is. And there's a degree of, like appetite for it like people have two or three gin and tonics i think the pace of whiskey consumption is very different and it 
evokes a kind of emotional response from drinkers, which is always different from from white spirits or from gin and vodka. So to have that tension between an emotional thing, a drink, and a more um, day-to-day thing is is an interesting one to have because you know we don't make gin to cash flow our whiskey. We make gin because we believe as a independent distillery in London we'd be mighty fools not to make gin it's like integrated into the bar scene as being a core volume booze product you know and it's a great drink um i mean a gin tonic is the national drink right or or close to i don't actually know what the actual national drink is but whether it's the official the unofficial one it you know there's a you know you go wherever you anywhere in the uk you get a you get a gin tonic and you know i mean yes we've had the gin boom yes the bubble has burst and all that stuff but i think actually i think where we sit and where our positioning is of excellent local booze that's affordable that is that resonates people don't think they're getting ripped off and that, i think that's 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 that resonates because people just realize there is a there is a kind of ethical margin decision made about at what what price can we can we sell this and still be you know and 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 you know i get the ambition is you know every cupboard in in england has a bottle of our gin in the back of it because we want it to be the everyday gin. We don't want it to be the special gin that people only drink on their dad's birthday or their baby's christening or whatever it is. You know, it, it, it is the everyday thing. And, you know, neither do we want to promote alcoholism. But uh, if you will drink every day, make it in East London. Yeah. yeah. If you can have a gin tonic on Monday because you had a crappy day at work, then great. Have it, you know, I think that's that's the point. You know, we, we always say to our, our sales team, you know, if you walk into a bar and the bottle's behind the bar and it's dusty, then we're failing. There should be no bottle because it's sold out or it should be half empty and clean and used and part of the fabric of the bar's behavior. Higher or lower? I've got three higher or lower questions for you. Okay. And they're all based on the drinks industry. Mm -hmm. All quite interesting, I think. So the UK drinks industry was worth more or less than £40 billion in 2022. More. It was more. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Got a good poker face. Yeah. So it actually rose 6% okay. uh, from 46 billion in 2021 to just below 50 billion uh, in 2022. And they're actually forecasting the industry to reach just over 60 billion in 2026. Yeah. So it's growing. It's coming back. Good. Which good. Good to hear. Good. <laughs> okay. What percentage of consumers who buy alcohol are prompted by their visual wow factor? Is it higher or lower than 30%? Higher. It is high. <laughs> Theme here, isn't there? Um, it's 31%. So it really shows the benefit of having a strong brand. Yeah. Do you think it's possible for an alcohol brand to have a pretty shitty bottle but still do well? This is not a higher or lower question. Uh, being facetious asshole. Um, I mean, no, I think I think you you know that. I mean, I don't know the exact stats, but decision making on 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 a retail shelf, we're talking milliseconds or seconds. I think it's something like something less than three seconds, like two point seven seconds or something. Don't quote me, but it's it's a it's an infinitesimal amount of time that people are making decisions on, and they're not they're sure as hell not trying it before they're buying it. You know, in the volume retail supermarket, you know, grocery thing. Um, 
in the sensory overload that is the shell yeah and you've yeah. got yeah i mean so i mean unfortunately you do need to think about the look and feel of the, the brand I, what i would say though is that if you as we did really focused and still focus our biggest customer is on trade it still is you know nine years on um then you really circumnavigate that because if you can bring the bar on board with the brand consumer never sees the bottle if it's in a speed rail it's one of our failings as a brand is that we focused on winning the pouring deal we want to be the gin vodka and rum in the speed rail so anyone who orders a gin and, to gin and tonic or a vodka vodka coke or a rum and ginger it's an east london product that's used because w that's the that's the that's the aim right that we quite often forget to go well hang on a minute can you put a bottle of what we're doing on the back bar and they're like oh yeah but those are the back bar spirits I'm like but the whole ethos is well spirits are affordable accessible and excellent so you should be proud about the spirits that are in your speed rail oh yeah of course yeah of course and then they go on the back bar but the the, the kind of the the received old school method is always what's in the speed rail is one thing and then we put the fancy pants stuff on the back shelf so it's really a double war it's one a battle to win the win the account against the, the big brands that are paying to play and then it's reminding the bar that they've got something really bloody good in the rail and they should be having and please can you put it on the back bar please this is a massive segue but it, it comes back to your question about branding if you can build bring the bar on and they they buy into what you what we're offering then the customer doesn't see the bottle necessarily. And if it's a busy bar and they can't see behind the bar and the bar is wonderful and putting the product on the shelf as we would like, they still won't see the branding. They might see Sland on the menu, but they don't see the brand. So they are being led and influenced by flavor. They order a Negroni, it tastes horrible. They won't order another one. If they order a gin martini and they, it's, it's disgusting, they'll ask for a different gin. So in the on-trade, which is the kind of the joy and the magic of it, in the on-trade, liquid leads because you're being served a drink. You're not judging your choice based on what the bottle looks like that's not why we launched the on trade but i'm thinking about it now you know your the brand building element in the on trade is not led primarily by look and feel it's led by liquid that's not to say that there aren't people in the on trade who are who list with their eyes but i think nowadays that the quality of bars and bartenders across the uk is just being pushed all the time mm -hmm. I was in Leeds last month and there were some amazing, amazing new places. Nottingham, Leicester, Bristol, Cardiff, um, Glasgow. I mean, th there's such a such a great spread of quality places that we as a you know, we've got a lot to be proud of in terms of how the hospitality industry is, despite the hammering it's getting on every level. Um, it'll be business rates next year. Duty this summer, you know, every step the government can put wrong, they seem to be relishing in it so it's going to be tough forgot we're on high or low yeah yeah, yeah. Waffling. alex shut the fuck up <laughs> just say it. it's fine what percentage of consumers agree that the environmental impact of alcohol brands is a concern is it higher or lower than 30 percent lower it is lower yeah. yeah only just though so well it's kind of lower so it's 29 percent of alcohol drinkers are concerned about the environment and how alcohol brands are mm. interacting with the environment, right? However, if you look at the drinkers aged 18 to 24, that then shoots up to 54%. But that's on average, the 29%. Good, that should be going up. Yep, great. Yeah, I think that will rise over time as well. Yeah. yeah. And your 
and you've introduced Project Refill as yes. part Avenue, which yeah. aligns with that. So you can ask my age, and you are. <laughs> do you care? Uh, uh, yeah, Project Refill. Uh, it's yeah, it really resonates. It's been doing phenomenally well. So Project Refill is a ten-liter HDPE plastic, um, which is curbside recyclable, most widely recycled plastic in the UK. So to date, a year on, we've taken over 41,000 bottles out of our supply chain by offering HDP plastic jerrys. Quite a few forward-thinking wholesalers are now listing them uh, and bar orders a 10-litre jerry. They refill their bottles at the bar. Uh, HDP plastic is not the devil. Um, it's not. It's it's white. It's the most widely recycled plastic in the UK. Uh, it's very carbon light to make and to recycle. Uh, the relative number of bottles um, over just over 14 bottles in glass is a huge, huge increase in carbon to not only make that glass, but also to recycle it. Um, so it's, you know, we spent a long time working on what the vessel would be and what it would be made out of. But I think what we kind of realized is there's enough crap out there already. You know, we don't want to keep making new stuff. We want to pick a material that is made widely um, with as little carbon impact as possible. And which could be recycled most easily. Um, and a lot of bars pay for their recycling. So, you know, you can take the 10 litre jerry, you can squeeze all the air out of it. It looks like a, you know, it's the size of a generous focaccia or whatever. You know, it's like a sort of that sort of size. And you just squeeze it, squeeze the crap out of it, and you screw the lid back on and it's flat and it doesn't weigh anything. Um, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, not only in the booze world, about recipe and ingredient and heritage was also a lot of smoke and mirrors about sustainability and about what does it mean to be environmentally conscious and you know we're on the pathway of doing our b core it's taken a lot of time it's taken a lot of money um we're not there yet but we want to do it properly in the meantime we can do things in a quick and agile way which have a has a huge impact to say to our customers to say to our shareholders to say to our um colleagues and to, to generally be able to hold ourselves accountable to in 12 months taking 41,000 bottles out of our supply chain you can't greenwash that that just is we've taken out a phenomenal amount of glass out of our supply chain and people get it it resonates people understand that it's you know people are getting more educated about what which plastics are recyclable which are not how they made um and yeah it's making a big difference I'd love to see some sort of um, some doctored picture to see how big 41,000 bottles really is. That's a great idea, actually. We should have a, a like a big of... pyramid of bottles and then you next to it and just being like, yeah, that's how fucking many bottles we've yeah, yeah, yeah. taken up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So we spoke briefly before the, the podcast um, and I asked you what your biggest pain point or my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to try and rephrase this because I can't get that word <laughs> at all. We spoke about your biggest irk currently in the industry. Yeah. Well, what is that? Tell me. Uh, tell me again. Tell me again. Uh, I guess it's just the the transactional element of the pay-to-play bit, which we come up against. Um, For those who don't know what the pay-to-play is. It's, it's you know, and, and just just to be really clear and like to be, to, to really kind of own the, the, this, degree of transparency which i've been banging on about already you know of course we support our customers too um and and that takes a variety of forms i think what makes 
it difficult is when what makes it difficult for us and you know maybe it's a subjective uh not an objective one because it hampers our growth because we come up against it a lot but that very much is that you know the big booze brands are paying customers to take their product um listing fees um you know listing fees is something that we we really that's just not an arena where we have budget for you know we can support on bottles and cases and how that works and but really to it it, it makes it the barrier to entry and people always talk about the barrier to entry to whiskey being high because you need to have a lot of cash to lay down a lot of liquid but actually the barrier to entry generally is high anyway when you're distilling anything because if you want listings quite often the conversation is then well what are you giving me like well we're not giving you anything we're selling you a product you're paying for the product then you have a great product but the culture has been for the last few decades is if I sell you X, I need to give you some money because selling you a great product isn't enough. And and that's I find that difficult to stomach. It really is the old boys club, isn't it? it well, yeah. Works. I mean, it's 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 one way of doing business. And I think, you know, it's not that we don't support our customers in 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 many different ways. You know, we're a WST accredited educating center. So we do WST spirits level two. It's a worldwide like recognized spirits training um for incentives for bar bartenders um we do all sorts of other things as well as the more traditional support but i think when you when you when when big booze brands are cutting you know five figure checks for to take us out because they want the deal you know that that becomes well it's just not a level playing field but i mean it is what it is mm. so one thing we always try and do is we ask our guests to bring a quote or to share a quote which means a lot to them mm -hmm. it could be something that they've always carried around with them something that they've they've learned recently but something they can share with our listeners who you know it's it's almost like what would alex always say in this situation god i don't know. i mean that you'd have to ask my team what would alex always say i don't god don't. Uh, i don't know what i would say um I mean, I had I got great advice early on, and I I, I always remember I always rem when people ask me this, I remember this, and maybe I don't remember it in my day to day as much as I should. But it was it's very much like you know whether you're in year one, ten, or year twenty, if you can hold the the thought that no one knows you fucking exist, then you'll never take your brand and your positioning and your momentum and growth for granted, and then there'll always be a striving to to improve how you talk about what you do. So yeah, always remember no, no one knows you exist. If that's your baseline starting point, then then there will be no complacency. I think that's pretty good advice. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'll share mine with you. So the only time success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> that's quite cool. Yeah. Okay. I mean that one's fairly fairly obvious. I've not heard that before. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to kind of put the work in. Yeah, yeah, to get yeah. The, yeah. the success, and yeah. even if you get lucky. You won't keep getting lucky. You have to keep putting the work in. To your point before, you mentioned that you know you might get a win, and it feels great for a short time, but then it's back on the grind. It's, yeah. it's back moving, back putting yeah. things in place. Yeah, I think for me, it's just a case of don't become complacent. Yeah, keep putting the work in, keep showing up. Yeah, um, yeah, and keep striving to to take the next step. Really, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for doing the right thing consistently over a long period of time. Nothing yeah. beats consistency, basically. So thank you for tuning in today on the session podcast. Alex, any final words from you? So where can we buy your spirit? 
when when's your bar open what's coming up next yeah great um well first of all thank you for having me uh our bar is at the distillery just down the road in um Bowwolf, um 10 minute walk up from myland tube just go online actually we've got um next day delivery on our website everything's there and we've just launched some delicious new whiskies and gins um and uh a new gin sorry and and whiskey uh so yeah there's keep keep your eyes peeled on our instagram all the new product launches are on there first um and there will be at least one more exciting uh festive whiskey drop um okay. in december so yeah Lovely. well thank you uh please like share and subscribe and we'll see you on the next podcast hey guys if you enjoyed today's podcast please give us a like rate our show five stars or go ahead and subscribe so you're the first to know when we release another episode like this and if you know anyone who might like this too be sure to share this episode with them so they can enjoy it as well we're a new podcast so your support is really appreciated